Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Football Garbage Time NFL Podcast for our Scares and Dares episode, where we cover our favorite scare of the week and then provide the NFL bets we dare to make. My name is Sakun Wong, and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Football Garbage Time, and with me, as always, is my co-host for Scares and Dares, Senior Staff Writer, Joanne Kong. Hey, everyone. All right, so we've got plenty to talk about today. We're going to be discussing our new Scare of the Week the 2022 movie from Finland, Hatching. And then we're going to give you the de- the bets we dare to make for division winners for the NFC East and AFC East. And there is a lot to talk about there. But let's get rolling with our scare. So as I mentioned, our scare of the week is the 2022 movie from Finland, Hatching which is available for watching on Hulu right now. And it is, um, it's actually got a lot of buzz recently. It's a recent movie. It was actually just released in theaters, a limited release in April of this year, and uh, went to streaming in May and then just got to Hulu just now. So now it's available for all of you who have Hulu. And it's something that's worth paying attention to. And uh, it's uh, an hour and 27 minutes, another brisk horror movie to look at. And this is one of those movies that is a little bit more... Um, tense and allegorical and some have called it body horror because of uh, some of the graphicness of the movie but it's certainly very eye-catching and there's certainly lots of themes underlying the movie that are very very interesting there so the director here is Hannah Berglom it's uh, produced by Micah Ritalti I'm I'm probably going to totally butcher all these names Nico Ritalti and Nemia Yusufi so I'm sure that was horrible it was written by Ilya Rotsi. So, like I said, hour 27 minutes, pretty quick movie uh, as far as a movie is concerned. Very nice and brisk. And actually, that really works for this particular movie. But first, let's start with a little bit of background as to what the movie was about. So, Hatching is about a 12-year-old gymnast by the name of Tinya, uh, played by Siri Solalina, who is desperate to please her image-obsessed mother, who is a former competitive figure skater and whose popular blog, Lovely Everyday Life, presents their family's idyllic existence as manicured suburban perfection. After her mom, in trying to put together an episode for her blog, gathers her dad and her younger brother, Matthias, to join them for this video, a crow suddenly flies through the window, destroys the living room, and her mom, in a, in a creepy manner, picks up the crow and snaps its neck. So Tina goes and disposes the crow in the trash, not noticing that there's still a little bit of movement, and afterwards moves on to meet their new neighbor, and this will be important later, a girl named Rita and her French bulldog. So that night, Tina is awakened from sleep by this sound of cawing, and she discovers that the injured crow is, um, actually, still in the, is actually still alive, first of all, and is in the woods, uh, and she finds him there and puts it out of its misery. And she notices an egg, presumably the reason why the crow returned there. So she feels guilty and she brings the egg home and decides to incubate it underneath a pillow until it hatches. Now the creature that emerges from it, which resembles kind of a skeletal baby bird, but at almost, you know, human size, becomes her closest friend and in many ways a living nightmare. As it begins to attack things that cause her anxiety, leading to a slow reveal 
of this twisted reality that underlies her family's existence. So that's what I try to do there is give you a little bit of background about spilling the beans on what actually happens. Like I said, it's a brisk one hour and 27 minutes, and there's a lot to talk about there. So, Joanne, what do you think about this movie, Hatching? I really liked the movie, and I'm going to have to say at first, I was, I liked it, but I watched it. When we finished it, I was like, so what happened? (laughs) Um, So maybe that's, but that's just me, because you were very insightful about it. I mean, and and Google was very insightful about it as well. You know, obviously searching on Google gets you lots of insights. But yeah, no, it was one of those movies that um, is definitely based off an allegory for real life. And, and you, you wonder if the things you see there, the creature and all these other things, are real life or just meant to uh, be um, in place of something else. You know? And what I mean by that is most if you go on Google and check it out, and I, and I agree with this, a lot of people have said that this is really more this as an allegory of the challenges that a 12-year-old girl can endure in this particular type of family where she has a very demanding mom and then a lot of other issues in her family that are, you know, really challenging for her. You know, her mom is looking like she's going to have or is having an affair and the dad seems to be okay with it and the family unit is falling apart, but her mom acts like it's perfect and she has this blog that represents them as being perfect, the perfect Finnish family. So I think she's trying to reconcile all those things, plus the fact that her mom's really pushing her to really excel at gymnastics, and it's unclear whether that's something she likes or not, or she's doing it just to keep her mom happy or just because she thinks she has to. Um, So, yeah, I think there was a lot of things that are open for interpretation in the movie. Yeah, I think that's what this entire movie was. It was... Um, I think it's up to interpretation for the viewer. But one of the things they do make clear is they try to, I think, put in an image something that is hard to explain. Yes. Um, so, and, and I think that's what made this movie really interesting because you see that this egg that she finds right. is just a very small bird egg. Yep. And what ends up happening, and I commented while we watched it, I was like, I don't know much about bird eggs, but is it supposed to get that big? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, it's, it's almost it's more symbolic than right. reality. Right? So there's a lot of things that I think that they are trying to put, uh, make visual that is very hard, I think, in other times to, I guess, express, and they did a really good job with it. Yeah, I agree, and I think that a lot of that is also, you know, brings up the question, like I said, is this actually happening as we see it, or is this just meant to symbolize something else that's happening? Because, you know, clearly, um, there's a line in the movie, and I don't think this gives anything away, where they they talk about this creature, and they say, you've got to get rid of it, and she says, but I hatched it. So the question, you know, you can look at it literally. She literally hatched this giant egg that made this giant creature that's doing all these bad things, but in some ways are doing these bad things for her, for her you know, yeah. in line of her interests. Or she's saying, it, it's me, right? right. I, I, I hatched it, meaning that it's from me. It's me that's doing this, right? right? And I think there is some element of that, and that leaves open for interpretation when you get to the end. You know, is this actually visually two different things, a creature and this little girl, 
or is it just the little girl and just two sides of her personality evolving based on all the pressure that she's uh, experiencing in her everyday life? And not just evolving, but everyone has like a dual facet about them. Right. They always struggle to kind of reach a balance and the identity, like, and to put it blatantly, like the good side and the bad side, you got to see even the angel. Absolutely. You know, you try to reach that middle ground where, you know, you're not a pushover, but where you could be your own person. So, and like I said before, like they do a really good job, I think, putting that on. And where do you draw the line, right? Because I mean, basically it was, I mean, and again, I don't think this is giving much away, but the creature basically is, extreme on one end and she's kind of extreme on the other end and it's a question of where do you draw that line because when for one person where do you draw that line in your everyday actions in your everyday life Um, and I do think though you know just talking about the visuals um, I didn't think it was particularly scary but I did think it was unsettling I think that a lot of the visuals and they called it a lot of people have called this body horror because there's a lot of very graphic things that happen to bodies not necessarily human bodies but two bodies and so they call it body horror but I like to say that it's more unsettling horror, right? It's not like jump scares and, you know, something's chasing you, although that has happened. I think it's more the element of unease over what's happening yeah. in the movie. Yeah, I agree. It, it, it's not like, uh, you know, in your face shocking. We're not going for the 80s horror. The kind of slasher, uh, right? right. It's, exactly. It's more like the possibility and what's slowly kind of evolving and happening. But I do think it was very visual. It certainly relied yeah, on the visual, visual aspects yeah. of it. Kind of, um, in, in many ways, reminded me of Cronenberg in the way he treats body horror in, in his films, although not quite extreme as when extreme. Also, when it hatched, we were like, I was like, what is that? Is that a bird? <laughs> well, I think that's when it's, um, meant, it's meant to be uh, up right. to your interpretation, it's right? A, exactly. And there are a lot of weird elements about the creature when it first comes out that you just don't understand, like two different sized hands and yeah. all these other things really left for your interpretation as to what they actually mean in the um, in the overall scheme of the photo uh, picture. Sorry. So let's go ahead. First of all, let's talk about what everybody else is saying about this, and then we'll give, us, uh, give you our grades on this. So according to Ron, on tomatoes, 92% on a tomato meter based on 114 reviews. Pretty darn good. A lot of uh, critics really liked it. Their consensus is a movie, a message movie in a hard horror shell, hatching perches between beauty and revulsion, and establishes director Hannah Bergholm as a bright new talent. So that's the critics' consensus. Audience score, 61%. So on the higher side, not quite as high as the critics, but uh, definitely on the higher side. That might be because, uh, you know, you had subtitles. That's <laughs> right, right. Not all audiences love subtitles. So be forewarned, you're going to have to do some reading here. Um, and so what do you think? What do you, uh, how many stars do you give this out of four? A three. You give it a three? Yeah. Okay. So. I enjoyed it, and... Uh, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not, you have to be in the mood for subtitles, but it, I liked it, and it wasn't so many words that, yeah. you know. Well, you didn't have to actually, I mean, quite frankly, um, the dialogue, it was good, but it yeah. wasn't absolutely it, necessary to understand the actual right. situation. I mean, and you wanted to, you definitely need it, but at the same time, it wasn't so complicated that, you know, you felt lost, and you felt like you, like, you know, when you were reading the subtitles, right. you felt lost. You know, and what's interesting is, you know, when you're, the subtitles did come important, were important in one aspect, you know, the relationship between Tanya and her father and Tanya and the man that her mom is cheating on her father with. It's very interesting because you would expect that, you know, the other guy to be cast as the bad guy, but 
when you look at when you look at pay attention to the dialogue there, you see that there is much more complexity there. It's a much more interesting um, relationship, and it actually there's a very interesting dichotomy between those two male figures in her life. So um, I think fantastic work, great dialogue. I give it a three and a half stars. I think that it was a really terrific watch. Really brings me back to the times when I used to watch movies by David Lynch or something, and said, "All right, now let's all talk about what it meant," yeah. because that's the fun part, right? And that's this is a movie that will make you talk about it. Right. And, I, and if that's what you want, you want a movie where you could discuss it with your friends. I mean, this is definitely the movie that you should watch. Yes, I agree. So there you go. We got uh, three stars and three and a half stars from us uh, for Hatching, the finished movie from 2022. Go catch it on Hulu. All right. Let's turn the page over to the bets that we dare to make for the AFC East and the NFC East Division Champions. In the 2022 regular season, let's start with AFC East. So right now, as it stands, and this is according to Caesars, um, Buffalo Bills uh, for division winner are at minus 230. New England Patriots at plus 475. Miami Dolphins at plus 475 as well. And the New York Jets at plus 2,200 for division winner at AFC East. (laughs) So how lucky do you feel here, Joanne? What do you think? You know, I, I hate myself for doing making this pick, but I'm going to go with the New England Patriots okay. at plus 475. I mean, in all honesty, I think we discussed this. I mean, probably the safest bet would be the Buffalo Bills. Sure. The payout is just not really... It's not enticing. Yeah, it's yeah, not I that enticing. Yeah. So, um, and so I, I'm going to go with the New England Patriots. Since, you know, losing Tom Brady to Tampa Bay, the Patriots really lost their position in the AFC East. Yeah. I mean, they, they, reigned, yeah, they reigned that, that top spot, but, you know, they've really been struggling. Like last season, they, they were only 7-9 in, uh, seven, for the first year without Tom Brady, and then last year improved to 7-10, ten, ten, a win-loss. Yeah, 10 wins. 10-7, ten, ten, I'm sorry, yeah. uh, a win-loss record with Mac Jones. Right. And I think that is really the key for the Patriots this year is – Matt Jones having his first year under him mm-hmm. and only developing and getting better with um, coming this this new coming year. Okay. Because, I mean, last season, they really only lost by one game to tying up the first, the first position sure. in the division. Yeah. So very possible that the Buffalo Bills, you know, that the, the positions kind of change where the Patriots, become one and the Bills become two. Okay. And that doesn't mean they both can't get to the postseason. Sure. So, but yeah, so like, so the Patriots actually acquired Devontae Parker mm-hmm. and um, Nelson Aguilar, which, you know, is is interesting because they both did not have great seasons last year, mm-hmm. but the Patriots do have a way of taking, you know, other teams, cast off and making them relevant. <laughs> I want yeah. to be a little bit more. Yeah, no, no, I, that's absolutely right. <laughs> but they are really good at doing that. Right. And so um, so they could potentially have a really good season because we know that both of these wide receivers can really contribute to the team. Mm-hmm. They have potential. They, they, at one point in their careers, both did very well. Yeah, and so, I don't know if we say very well for Nelson Aguilar, but but well, but, let's just go but, well. Okay, <laughs> but like you just don't know. Like I just feel like Nelson Aguilar just never was able to reach his potential or catch passes in clutch oh, situations. Whatever. The same. 
But I'm gonna I'm gonna give him a little credit. I mean, while he was in Las Vegas, I mean he he did a good job. Yeah, he was better. He was better you know? than when he was on the Eagles. For right. Sure. I mean, like yes, in the Eagles he did terribly. I I I'm not gonna say otherwise. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like you add these two kind of seasoned players, and then they draft in the second round. Um, you know, Tyquan Thornton, mm-hmm. who's who everyone says like when they're watching them like in the preseason. Speed, speed, speed. Mm-hmm. He is super, super fast. Right. And they and that creates a lot of opening opportunities for Matt Jones. Sure. So, I mean, you you kind of now have like all these receiving options that maybe they didn't have last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have the the regular you have the people from last year coming back. You have Kendrick Bourne. Yep. And you have Kobe Myers. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have all these people now where. Matt Jones has a slew of people to throw to. Now. Yeah, a questionable um, which ones will step up there, but yes, lots right. of potential. So I mean, so I think like with their season last year, um, with the new additions for this upcoming season, it it stands to chance like with a with a plus four seventy five, you know, yeah. payout that yeah. it you're you're not that bad of a bet. Yeah, no, it's not bad. I, I can see that. So, but, so the New England Patriots, as you have, at plus 475. Uh, I am going to go, so this is interesting, because I think we did discuss that if you want the odds-on favorite to win the AFC East, then obviously the Buffalo Bills are it, right? So if you don't care about the payout, then, yeah, I, I would put, put my bet on the, on the Bills. They are certainly the odds-on favorite to take the AFC East. Uh, at minus 230. But I am going to go here and look at the payout, and I'm going to go with the Miami Dolphins at plus 475. Now, I, I think that the Dolphins, you know, they clearly had a terrible O-line last year, but they've added Teron Armstead and Connor Williams. That's pretty big, and Robert Hunt was already solid. So I think the Dolphins immediately, they have a, have a much better improved O-line from a season ago just from there. And they a couple few, just a few young players kind of step up the remaining stops, this could be a solid, solid O-line, which much improved over last year. And I think that is what Tua needs. And I think we all agree that Tua isn't the best quarterback, but he doesn't have to be the best quarterback. He just has to be solid. He has to make mistakes, and he has to have options. And I think that new head coach, Mike McDaniels, is there. He brings with him Kyle Shanahan's offense that led the league in average yards after catch for three years in a row. And in Miami, McDaniels um, will be able to give Tua an opportunity we, I think, to put some, to get some, some, some solid yards after catch. And I think what they're going to do is they're going to get newly acquired Tyreek Hill and their budding superstar Jalen Waddle, get him out there in space and have Tua hit him in short routes, you know, middle of short routes. And I think that they can create. I mean, obviously we know that Tyreek Hill can create. We've seen what Jalen Waddle can do as well. Tua doesn't have to be great. He just has to get rid of the ball quickly, which he traditionally does. He definitely has one of the, sh- the quicker releases in the NFL, and that will be perfect for both Hill and Waddle to create after the catch. So I think that if you look at it from that perspective, from an offensive perspective, there is an upside potential there for the Dolphins to be really challenging. You know, I just th- I think there is some potential there. I think the Bills, obviously, odds-on favorite. If you don't care about the payout, go for it. But if I- I'm taking a chance, I am taking a chance on the Miami Dolphins. That is a big chance because, like you said, um, Tua doesn't have to be great, but it's he's still Tua. And 
I know I understand what you're saying about just giving him a chance because you have Tyreek Hill out there. Yeah. But I mean And Jalen Waddle. I'm just saying the right. two of them together now. But now you know, you're looking at you're looking at them practicing without um without a defense. I mean, it's just yes, I agree they're gonna improve, but to take the first in the division I just don't see that happening. I mean, anything can happen. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. And I feel like I think I think Mike McDaniel gives them a chance. I think if he employs that offense, that that yards after catch focused offense that they employed in in San Francisco, that is perfect for Tua because he is not an accurate long. Uh, he's not an accurate passer. He's not accurate in deep throws, but he is great in you know middle short routes and I think that Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle can create as the improved offensive line. He should have at least enough time to hit those three seconds. I just don't think it's enough. I mean Tyreek Tyreek Hill was with Kansas City and they didn't win every single game. Mm-hmm. I it's well, just Yeah I don't have to win every single game. I know game. but like he didn't do it alone. He had a lot of other um factors and parts out there that made that makes Kansas City a better team. Yeah, I'm not saying that the Dolphins are Kansas City. I mean that don't get me wrong. I'm just saying you that can't I can't add one person and say that you know, this team is going to... Well, I, I, honestly, they added two people to the O-line, which I think is more important than adding Tyreek Hill. But but add Tyreek Hill on top of that, I think there's some potential. All right, we'll so... See, we'll see, we'll see. We'll right, see. Patriots and Dolphins, both, both at plus 475 both, for us. Yes. And then we got the the Bills there if you want to be extra state. But I think we're going to Patriots <laughs> and Dolphins. Let's turn over to the NFC East now and talk about them. So according to Caesars, Dallas Cowboys at plus 130, Philadelphia Eagles at plus 155, Washington Commanders being at plus 575, and the New York Football Giants at plus 800. Boy, both New York teams bringing up the rear in their respective divisions. I know, so sad. Really sad. All right, so what do you think here? Who do you got for the NFC East? I'm going to take your route with the NFC East. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it pains me that I can't pick the New York Giants, but <laughs> I would don't be see bold. them taking the division until they get rid of um, Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones. Sure. So um, outside of that, you know, I, I would say, like, maybe this – I don't even know what a safe bet would be for this division. Right. I mean – but I'm going to go with, uh, I think, the most improved and the best payout, potential payout, if they take it, is the Washington Commanders. Wow. Commanders. Oh, yeah. Okay. Interesting. So, I know. I know. They, I mean, they signed Carson once this year. They did. And I know, like, you're, what you're thinking, like, he's not that big of an upgrade um, as fans probably wanted. Yeah. But, you know, Still Carson afraid. Wentz could get the job done. I mean, yeah. he did, he was able to do it for the Eagles. Yeah. And like you said, for Tua, he doesn't have to be great. He just has to be good. And Carson Wentz, I think, is 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 better than Tua. I'm going to say he's going to be, yeah. he's better than Tua. Yeah. I know, I know. I mean, that's he, a crazy he kind of, he kind of, he kind of, he pittered out <laughs> when he was in Indianapolis, and that's why he's no longer there. So I, I'm not sure he's better than anyone at this point. But I know I heard myself saying it, and I'm just like, I like, I, I think the, I think like maybe a ghost of the Washington Commander right. took me over. And... Well, definitely better than Heineke, <laughs> and I mean, we all think we all agree he's better than Heineke. So, so certainly an improvement for the Washington Commander. But yeah, but like uh, they've also added uh, to their roster, and you know the funny thing is is that they also drafted a quarterback, Sam Howell, in the yeah, the yeah, draft, they did, so... they did. Um, I think like if Carson wants doesn't work out, they could make a switch and sure. see how 
Sam Howell does fifth round. Tom Brady was also the fifth round. The sixth round, actually. Oh, but but, but Sam Howell also was like, a, a, he was a real prospect for quite some time and kind of slipped um, because of his last season. So, yeah, there certainly is upside there. Right. Uh, so, but like, I mean, the uh, with that, they, they in the first round pick, they, they picked a wide receiver, Jan yep. Dobson. So, I mean, I think they really have given Carson Wentz all that they could give him. Yeah, I agree. Um, with with the receiving field, like the receiving core out there. Yep. So, um, I don't know. You just have to see what happens there. But, I mean, there's not that much I could say for um, <laughs> for the, for this pick because, yeah. I mean, in all honesty, I don't think I'd put any money on it. Uh, division. No, no money at all in the division. <laughs> no, the I would, pick I would is... rather double my money for the AFC. No team. Right, so. right, exactly. <laughs> Whatever I was going to put in the East. So I'm your pick for the NFC yeah. is nothing. No team is the pick. Okay. I would rather put it, double it down on the AFC. Well, they did extend Terry McLaurin in the offseason, yes. which was a big move. Um, so, And we all agree that he is uh, a fantastic wide receiver, probably top 10 in the NFL. So we will see. Yeah. We'll see what I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, like like with the Miami Dolphins, like, let's see what happens. Okay. Like, uh, yeah. Oh, I'm I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to take the Dallas Cowboys. They're only plus 130, and quite frankly, that's pretty darn close to basically, um, you know, all the rest of them. There's no none of these are odds-on favorites. Not like the Buffalo Bills were. So none of them have negative money lines. This yeah. is actually a positive 130 on the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, and I think that they've done a lot to improve over the last season. On, on the defensive side, the Cowboys signed veteran linebacker Anthony Barr to a one-year deal. Adds some. Seriously good experience and depth at linebacker to an already solid defensive unit that includes standout linebacker Micah Parsons, who is heading into a sophomore campaign after setting record marks in his rookie season with an impressive 84 tackles and 13 sacks. Uh, on the offensive side, I know that there's no more Amari Cooper. It's true that wide receiver James Washington suffered a fractured foot recently, putting him out six to eight weeks, and Michael Gallup is still recovering from a torn ACL, but C.D. Lamb is healthy and both Washington and Gallup should be back by week two of the regular season. And in addition, they got rookie Dalen Tolbert as well, which certainly helps the receiving core. Plus, most importantly, Dak Prescott is healthy. And, he, and when, now. He, when he's healthy, he is good, right? The last year, he completed just under 69% of his passes for 4,449 yards and 37 touchdowns and only 10 interceptions. And I don't see any reason why that would change. Their offensive line is still very sturdy. They have uh, just as many wide receiver options as they did before in terms of targets. Yeah, I would say maybe even better. Uh, now that we've kind of cleared it out there and CeeDee Lamb is the true number one, uh, like I said, rookie Jalen Tolbert will definitely uh, benefit as well. Um, bottom line, you know, I just don't think that the other teams in the NFC East are any good. <laughs> so I think that the Cowboys – are really uh, at a position where they, everyone had to catch up to them, and they did not. They did not do enough to catch up to the Cowboys. And at plus 130, the odds and the payout aren't bad for uh, the favorite. So I'm taking the favorite. I'm taking the Cowboys at plus 130. But you know I can't root for the Cowboys. Well, you got to take your heart team, out of it. This is money. Team. We're talking about money here. Got to take our heart out of it. One team I cannot support. I'm going to take the higher payout and uh, the higher odds. And- yeah cross my fingers on a wing and a prayer. Yeah. And if I'm right and the Washington commanders do take that first sure. spot, great, I mean, great payout. let's, uh, you know, uh, you just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, well, Zach I do. Prescott, Cowboys are going to take the division. Zach Prescott could injure himself again. He's yeah. very injury prone. Any, any 
member of any team could injure them. Well, I, but I'm not. But you got to bet on what you know right now, and I don't. I don't see any reason why Dak Prescott. I mean, sure, it's always possible Dak Prescott injures himself. In right. I mean, no you chance. Can't, but you can't. You know, looking at what they are right now in the preseason. Agreed. Agreed. You I, can't rely on. I think the Cowboys are are the ones to to catch. They're definitely the ones. To, and plus one thirty. Like I said, that's not a bad bet. Uh, in my opinion. All right, that's it. That's all we got for the show. Let's hit the air horn on the show here. That was the air horn. But there, there's their air horn. All right, there we go. Jen, <laughs> why don't you give us your social media so people can follow you? Is that Tom Poo for you on Twitter? All right, so give her a follow and uh, let her hear what you have to say about her picks because, you know, some of those are a little controversial, I think. A little bit. So anyway, you can find me on Twitter at FB Garbage Time or on Facebook at the Football Garbage Time page. As usual, thank you for listening and wasting time with us. We hope you enjoy our scare of the week catching and make some money taking on our dares. Well, at least my dares. My dares. My dares, I'd say, with making some money. Her dares, you better have. I'm really scared. (laughs) Until next time, everybody, enjoy your NFL week. Bye, everyone.